if you truly, truly know what you're doing, know your numbers, know your business, uh, live your business, then you don't have to do anything really. You have to know your strengths and your, and your uh, weaknesses as a business. You measure and you adjust. Hi, my name is Ellie Cody and this is Manhattan Sideways. On this episode, recorded in January of 2019, we spoke with Guy Vakin at Beyond Sushi. Here's what Betsy Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business. On any given day, if I have the opportunity to eat at Beyond Sushi, I'm a happy girl. As a vegetarian, I don't have to think about it. I can order anything on the menu. I can say to a friend or a relative, you order, I'll be fine which for them is shocking because everyone always is concerned what will Betsy eat. But at Beyond Sushi, it's all good. Uh, I've come to know Guy and his wife, Tali, and I adore them, and I'm so thrilled for their success as they expand all over the city. Um, And one Shark Tank, I was really excited about that. Um, But I will also say it's my comfort food, and both when I lost my father-in-law and when I lost my own dad, and we wanted to have something special for people to enjoy when they came for Shiva. And I, I didn't want bagels and fish. Obviously, I didn't eat it. And I didn't want deli. And I wanted people to come and have something to talk about, not just to be sad. And Beyond Sushi was a hit both times. People loved it. People just said, where are they? How do I find them? What do I do? So I feel like I was one of the first people to discover them when they first opened on 14th Street, and now I am singing their praises as they expand all over the city. So my name is Guy Vaknin, and I'm the chef and owner, founder, uh, bookkeeper, uh, cleaning person of Beyond Sushi. Um, today, uh, today, six restaurants. And how did you get started in the restaurant business and with this business in particular? It seems like everything that has happened in my life kind of happened because it happened and not because I uh, planned it too much. Um, And I'm a big believer in letting life flow and and doing what what comes in front of you and and not forcing anything. So I came, my father came here in the 90s, the beginning of the 90s and opened a, a Moroccan restaurant, not because he, um, that was his profession. He was a police officer before. But it's just that restaurants are this one thing that if you have a little bit of money and you can loan a little bit more, you don't have to have any special skill to actually open it. You just open and, uh, and you work hard and sometimes you succeed and sometimes you don't. Uh, if you have the experience, it's better. Uh, but that's what he did and with a lot of... Uh, wheel and drive. He made that happen and uh, ended up with a, a bunch of restaurants in the city, all Moroccan, black kosher uh, restaurants because that's where my origins are from. And uh, I grew up in Israel. I didn't grow up here, but I used to come here and visit uh, every year, come in the summertime and just uh, work in the restaurant and when I was a kid as a waiter, as a busboy, as a delivery boy, as a manager, as a food taster, because I was very chubby. <laughs> I ate everything uh, that they made and made sure that everything's good. Father owns a restaurant. You, that's what you do. You eat. Um, and then uh, went to the army. I went to the army in Israel, paid my dues back home, uh, did what I was supposed to do, and came here in 2005 
for just a vacation slash uh, let's see what I'm going to do with my life. Worked in my dad's restaurant for a few months and just like a father and son relationship, it doesn't work out, right? It doesn't work out. He wants one thing, I want the other thing and I stepped out and ventured out into uh, what I knew, which was the restaurants. Worked in 20 restaurants in the city in every position possible, bartender, server, manager, uh, I was a bouncer at clubs, um, did various things in this field and, and then decided that I'm going to go and study something because that's according to the books where I came from. You have to go to college, learn. Went for computer engineering. I got accepted here in City College. Three months in, I, I figured that that's not, not what I want to do. <laughs> can't sit on the chair. Uh, can't listen to the teacher. Just came out of the army. I'm like all energetic and stuff. I want to get out of it. Had a dream to cook. Since I was uh, young, I always loved food. Told my dad that I'm not going to continue with computer engineering. He said, okay, let me pay for your uh, school, thinking that he's going to you know, do it out of the, the goodness. But paid for my school and then made me the executive chef of his <laughs> company. Got out of school, out of culinary school. Went to ICE, Institute of Culinary Education over here. Two weeks after I got out of school, I was the executive chef of a big catering company here in the city at 23, not knowing what I'm doing. It did that for six years, lost him a bunch of money, uh, made him a bunch of money afterwards to make up for it. Served the highest end in the kosher world, even not in the kosher world. Did anything that came up to my mind because I never had like a real chef above me. And that basically gave me the platform to do Beyond Sushi. That's the backstory where I started. We had a request for a sushi station and some places in the Jewish world, they don't eat meat and fish. And I had to come up with something that was cool and, uh, and innovative and wasn't fish. So we came up with the black rice and whatever vegetables that we had inside the fridge. And we saw the reaction. And then while I was uh, the executive chef over there, I decided to develop that. Went to the vegetarian food festival. That's where my wife came to the picture. She founded this business with me. She came and uh, pushed me to do more with that and took me to the Vegetarian Food Festival and we sold out after like one hour. That's amazing. So, yeah, that was great. And then the next day we worked all night so we have enough, but we still sold out. Figured that we were onto something and decided to develop that, right? And the year after went again and sold out again and basically decided that, okay, we have something, let's develop it. Developed it for two years told a bunch of people that I want to open this. Everybody called me nuts because it wasn't like, what, what are you doing? You're going to make a vegetarian sushi? What, what's wrong with you? Uh, I really believed in it, right? I really believed in the whole, the whole thing and said, okay, if nobody's going to believe in me, I'm going to do it myself. Took everything I saved, my life savings, which was very little, uh, $70,000, uh, loaned another seventy from my father and opened the first business on 14th Street. Was left with $1,000. Uh, when I first opened the doors. So I didn't have much of uh, breathing after that. And then, you know, everything else happened after that. If you want to hear, it's a long story. Okay. <laughs> so uh, after that, I had $1,000, came for my first day, one employee. Basically, two weeks before I opened the doors, I left my dad's uh, company as the executive chef. And the day before, went down to Chinatown, bought some vegetables and everything that I needed made the food and ate, opened the restaurant. Uh, one employee and me. Was Tali still helping? Tali's your no, wife, right? So, yeah, so I hired Tali to work for my dad. 
uh, and that's how things happen. But uh, she wasn't in the company because I couldn't afford anybody. So I was the dishwasher back then. I was the cook. I was the counter person. I was everything. And I had one sushi chef because I didn't know how to make sushi. It kind of it was a kind of a Cinderella story. But I I really believe that I that I could make it happen no matter what it is. I'll just work really hard and make sure it happens. And I knew uh, I had a lot of will and drive to do it. And I didn't know everything. I mean, I opened the business. I don't. I ran my dad's business, but it was a complete different story. I had employees. You have people working, doing uh, things in the company, and I came to a place where I have to do everything. But I didn't let that deter me from from wanting it even more. So I would wake up every night at three o'clock in the morning, come cook the food, wash the dishes, walk up to the restaurant, and work the counter from eleven in the morning till nine thirty, and we go again. And I did that for about three months because I needed to just cycle things until we get to the point that I can hire somebody just to wash the dishes. And not even, you know, the whole time, only like five days out of the week. You know, I, I didn't even have a second sushi chef. I had one sushi chef that worked six days. And I always tell this story. It sounds like the making of the role. And on the seventh day, he needed to take a day off. And I uh, had to be the sushi chef and the counter person at the same time. And, and I didn't know how to make sushi. So it was brutal, right? Uh, people had to wait like 40 minutes for one roll. Uh, but I had to learn. So I did that. And I, I believe that if you put your head into it and you work really hard at it, you can make anything happen. And, and even if it's not yours, just prioritize, right? It's not your profession. You will learn it and make it happen. Now when I look back, I can't even imagine how we, we got there or how we did it. It was insane. It was really um, a rough start, but it happened. And the name went out there. And after two weeks, we were hitting numbers that I didn't imagine that we would hit a year after. How did people start hearing about you? So first there was a buzz because of that New York Vegetarian Food Festival. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really uh, kept me up and running was the, the community. So I opened the place vegetarian. It wasn't vegan. Uh, I opened it as a healthy concept that is going to go into that niche. Not not uh, vegetarian, healthy, not not vegan. Mm -hmm. I was a complete ignorant about the whole thing. But as I said, you do something and you learn through the process. I took people's feedback and I took my customers' feedback and I learned that the need was there more than for just vegetarian, for vegan. And I wanted to eliminate a problem that I had that I always had to separate. Oh, this is vegetarian, this is vegan. So I sat down after two weeks of having the business open and figured out a way to do the things that I was doing vegetarian with eggs, uh, without eggs. And it was pretty simple. So I made it happen and I made that decision. And probably the best decision that I ever made for the business eventually became you know, my lifestyle. I, I learned so much through the process and from people a lot of times forcing their ideas on me, not even, uh, not even letting me think about it, but just forcing and drilling it every day that I had to teach myself what's, what's the big deal. And, and I learned and, you know, and that's me now. It's me, my wife, my kids. Uh, that's the lifestyle. That You're all carry. vegan now? Yes. Yes, 100%. It's hard with the kids, but... I, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To what extent does sustainability play a role in your decisions? So when we opened, uh, it was Beyond Sushi. Today, the slogan kind of faded away. Beyond Sushi, the green role. Not because we're not sustainable. Our first location was open using recyclable materials. We had beams that came from a building in Williamsburg that were repurposed for the tables and for the counters. We had um, 
all our containers were uh, um, biodegradable and there still are in all the locations. And we wanted to do a mingle between two because I believe that it carries the same message. I mean, it usually hits the same audience. We make a big impact. People don't even understand how much a restaurant, how much stuff they go through, how much plastic, how much, how much yeah. food waste, how much everything that goes mm-hmm. into it. Numbers are, you know, when you now, especially when every little thing makes a, such a big difference. Um, and that was, that was one of the key things that we wanted to hit too. I think that you can do it to the max that you can, right? The problem and the unfortunate thing about, about being sustainable and being local or being 100% biodegradable is that it's so much more expensive and it's sad because you buy something, a watermelon that comes from Long Island over here on the island and you buy one that comes from, I don't know what, Thailand and the Thailand one will be cheaper. Even though it was shipped all the way from the other side of the world, it's still going to be cheaper. So the equation is not okay. And the problem is that nobody really addresses it over here or puts certain limitations on it. And the other problem is that one of the main things that kept us alive is that I wanted to keep it accessible. And to keep it accessible, I wanted to charge a certain price that, because I opened in 14th Street between 2nd and 3rd, right next to me is IHOP, across the street is McDonald's. I wanted to keep it so anybody can make a decision instead of going there, trying our food, and enjoy it. Eat something else that is healthy for them, but not break their back. And they they would even try it, because it's such a crazy idea. That I needed them to be, I needed people to be able to try it, and and that was the motto. So it was hard to be a hundred percent sustainable. It's 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 just business wise or financial, it wouldn't make sense to do it a hundred percent. But we did it to the most that we can, and then I still do it. I try to buy as much as I can local, as much as I can organic. But if I, if it's all organic, a hundred percent, or all local, then I need to charge double of what I'm charging. Nobody's gonna walk into the store. Could you share with me some tips for folks who might want to start more sustainable businesses? I believe that it doesn't matter if for any decision or making any progress in the businesses, it's about doing the footwork, right? So you have to do as much research as possible so you can find, be sustainable, but also be sustainable. Your business is sustainable, not just sustainable uh, on a, on the Environmental. environmental part, but just being sustainable and staying in business. Because it doesn't make sense to be sustainable and go out of business, then you're not doing anything, right? Uh, so do as much food work as you can and learn as much as you can or where you can source things. Uh, there is many uh, small purveyors that if you deal direct with them, like I had a, I had a guy that I used to deal with from the island, uh, Good Water Farms, right? So he grew all the microgreens and I would get them uh, direct from him. So he cut the middleman in the middle and if you can get to the farmer, most times he can offer you a price that is something that you can achieve and can use and not have the middleman in the middle taking from him, marking it up mm-hmm. and he doesn't care so he marks it up as much as he wants and then you end up like, okay, I can't do this, mm-hmm. you know? So do the footwork. Do the footwork, so, yeah. yes, exactly. <laughs> do, do the research, call, yeah. call people, you mm-hmm. know, check. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Was your dad proud of you once the business started no. taking off? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. He, 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 uh, he wanted to teach me a lesson. Now he is, right? Now, after all this uh, time, but in the beginning, pff, no. 
Ah, he wanted to teach me a lesson. He didn't want me to, he wanted me to struggle. But, but that comes from pride and everything. And he's been doing it for all these years. Does your dad still have restaurants in New York? So my dad is, uh, my dad ran the catering company. Because when I, uh, when I went back to his company after, after culinary school, he condensed all his restaurants into a catering company. And that's where we operated out of. He ran that for two more years after I left. And in 2014, he sold it and he's retired. And today he went, he's going to, uh, the univer- to university to learn English. <laughs> and he's How coaching. How old is he? He's 63. His wow. English is like all broken, so he's <laughs> learning English right now. And he's, uh, he's coaching soccer. That's his like thing right now. And he comes to visit once in a while, you know. <laughs> but he's retired. He's not doing much. He's just like chilling, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a different world. It's a different world. He started in the 90s. Today, a post on Instagram and poof. And, you know, everything is fast. And you can go from, from zero to 100 in, you know, viral in two seconds. So it wasn't easy. I can't, you know, I, I, it was not easy at all. I, and it didn't happen for me. Just like that, I, I worked really hard for it, but it was it's easier than when it was back in the day. You know? Do you use social media a lot to promote the business? Social media, when I started, was just like, it was starting. Instagram wasn't a thing. Uh, Facebook was, but I didn't have the time or the luxury to even pay attention to it, right? Uh, and I always say it's, you have to prioritize when you run a business. You cannot... You have to put whatever is the most important thing on the table, deal with it right away. It's always your customers and they are on top of everything. But once you take care of them and make sure that they are good and your system is working, you can venture out and do other things. I've come to realize that today, at least, that everything is around that. Everything is social media. And it's not something that I necessarily liked or wanted to learn, but... If you want to continue and evolve in, in business and in life, you have to go with the trend. You cannot stay in, you know, in the past. You have to learn what's going on and you have to be a part of it, uh, whether you like it or not. If you don't, okay, you're just dead. Mm-hmm. You know? You're not, you're not going to be a part of, uh, of making business. Everybody's on it. Today, a post on Instagram is worth a lot more than uh, you know, any ad on a, in, a, in a newspaper or anywhere. One influencer, I have... Kids, literally kids, 15 years old, that walk into my place, that have 250,000 followers, and my team is more nervous from them walking in than a critic from I don't know where, right? Because it makes, it makes such a big impact, right? So what? So a critic wrote and it gets swallowed somewhere, but one, this, I don't know what, I have 2 million followers. Okay, boom, 2 million followers just saw this. It's different. It, it makes... It makes it makes the the whole the whole uh, the whole game different, right? So I really got into it, uh, and today it's uh, I have a whole team that works on it. And I have two interns that just do that all day, and I have a marketing uh, manager that does that. And it's costly, and you have to make a lot of content to get into all those places. But I'm I'm working on it, learning it, and I know that that's the future. How did you start building your team going from you and a sushi chef <laughs> and now you have a whole marketing team? Yes. So it took time and a lot of building, right? Running a business is extremely different than running a company, 
Okay. And a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, and it's more, so much, so much more expensive to run a, a company and running, you know, business owner and owning a company or working in a company or having your own company. The fact that you have two, three employees and you have a business doesn't mean that you have a company. Can yet. you define the difference for listeners who might not know? As a business owner, I can control and do everything. When you run a company, you have to, uh, you have to trust that other people in the company are moving things along when you're not there, right? Or when you're not touching it. It's extremely hard. I mean, it's something that I had personally had to grow into was very hard for me in the beginning, still hard for me on so many levels to let go of certain things. Not because I'm a control freak, it's because I feel like certain things are not getting done. I, I'm, a, I'm a doer, right? I'll get things done. If I want to build a restaurant, like my biggest restaurant, I build in a month and a half. From nothing to doors open, right? It's a 3,000 square feet restaurant. Uh, full service, bar and everything else, uh, 134 West 37th Street. It took me a month and a half from, wow. from zero to 100%. And I, I, I'm a pusher, right? That's what I do. And, and sometimes it's hard to see in your company, people that you're paying good hard work money for not doing these things. But a company is all about people. Owning a business and, and growing a, a company or any business, the end of the day, it's people, and you have to become uh, not only uh, a business owner, but also a motivator, thinker of how to get people to do certain things. It's running an organization, and that was very hard transition. We're still not fully there in a lot of senses. I have to go in and do certain things and run around, and I still jump. I mean, I still, I like jumping into the kitchen. I cook 50% of the time still, up until today, and I would never let that go, but it's running a company versus running a business. Running a company is a different ballgame, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So building the team, right? I got to talk about that. Building the team started with bringing my wife. My wife is, uh, if I'm a pusher, she's a bulldozer, right? <laughs> <laughs> she will move mountains, right? And she moves me and uh, she'll, if, if she wants something, it's going to get done, right? It's going to get done. Whether you like it or not, you're, you're going to hear her. But it happened, uh, it happened that, we did so great together in the catering company. And when she came along to the business, that, you know, changed everything. First, she pushed. She, she pushed into catering and helping income more money into the company. Second thing, uh, I saw that we need to, you know, open another location to sustain ourselves. So I went to Chelsea Market. For me, that was like the epitome. Oh, wow, it's busy. We're going to get all this. And we did. I mean, that, that helped us go out there even more. But to get into Chelsea Market, she had to go every day to Chelsea Market to harass the guard in the front just so he can give her a name and a number of somebody that she can talk to that maybe will get us in because you can't get in there or just like that. So she went, she harassed him for a whole week, but that's, that's part of it. I say, you got to be a pusher. She harassed him until she got that name and we got to the person that actually puts people into Chelsea Market. You got to be very unique and we did a tasting and all this stuff. And now we're there for six years, signing for another right now, working on that. But she changed that. And then this, the, the one after and giving me the support that I could, you know, run this stuff. And she was the one that came in. And as we grew, I added more people to the system. Managers of location I didn't have until later on in the business. And what's your relationship like with your employees? It goes up and down in restaurants. Yeah, but I have... Uh, 
Now I have last count was 78 employees. At one point we were more, at one point we were less. I know personally each and every one of them. I know where they're from, how they got to the company. Uh, they all have my phone number. I'm very close with all of them. I feel like if you're detached from you know, the ranks above, uh, you don't feel as um, connected to the company. One of the things that I learned about employees today is that a lot need something else to drive them just besides coming to work. And to be a part of that mission and everything else and everything that we're doing, you got to be in touch with all of them and you got to check up on them. I do my runs in the city. I go to all the locations uh, at least once a week. It's hard, but it's part of, it's part of the game. And I teach my managers now because I have uh, one district manager and two managers on the bigger locations to go and, you know, be that person for me. But even then, it's hard. I mean, I had a, kind of a busy time in the past month and a half, and I couldn't go to one location for a very long time. And then this sushi chef didn't get along with this one or there was this problem, and you get a text, okay, I quit. But what do you do now? You know, and what the manager, but if I was there and they saw my face and everything, and this is where it's, it's hard when you run a company. It's hard uh, to get uh, the right management and the right people to push them and be together um, on, on their level, on their unit level. Yeah. But part of the struggles, right? Challenges, mm -hmm. no challenge, no growth. You mentioned also that your reasoning for opening the Chelsea location was to help sustain the business yeah. overall. So yeah. I, I hear you saying that that was the motivator to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you've grown more and, and now you have so many more locations, has that continued to be the motivator or is it is it closer to success that's motivating? So there is a lot of there is a lot of points in business owning or building a company and uh, for me personally of why you do certain things, right? Why I mean why do I need more of this? I mean, if I'm doing okay, why do I need to grow? Like oh, where am I going? Uh, why am I pushing so hard? Why do I need to be all over the place, right? It came and it stems from a lot of places. So first, I have my own personal mission that uh, for me, it's, I don't know, we, they can't see me, the viewers, but uh, you see the way I'm dressed right now, that's the way I go to sleep. So I, I'm with my chef coat and my, uh, my work pants. I, and I, I, that's, I don't need a lot, right? So it's not just the money. Uh, it's not just, money is very important because it, it runs a lot of things and it runs a business. Uh, without money and uh, being financially stable and a business being profitable, you can't run a business. You can't employ 78 people. You can't make an impact. We feed about 1,000 to 1,500 people a day. Uh, for me, that was the biggest, it's the biggest driver. For me to make an impact in the community or in the vegan world or uh, as a small business is to do it on a large scale. And I, I, if I can, I can do it on a large scale and I have the ability and I have the ability to build a company. I want to do it as big as possible. Um, last time I did this uh, podcast, or I did a podcast, I said, I'm just getting started in my eyes, right? So so we fed over 2 million people since we opened this company. Uh, I'm very proud of that, but it's not, for me, it's not a lot. I mean, we do it, yeah, that's what I do. I want to do more of it. It gets tiring, though. <laughs> I can tell you that, it gets tiring. I uh, It's been a very eventful year for me so it gets tiring but if you do it the right way and you have the company structure and everything is built the right way potentially it gets easier with time 
And that's what we've invested tons of funds and tons of work uh, in the past three years, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. So where do you see yourself going next? According to the plan and, and, and business and life, in my view, is very dynamic and it's ever changing and you can plan whatever you want, but it's not necessarily going to happen. Um, according to the plan, we're opening two more next year over here. And according to the plan by the 2020, we're supposed to open our... Um, our branch in LA, right? Uh, we're on Shark Tank and the whole thing, and uh, we're supposed to open our branch in LA. That's the plan. I mean, that's the business plan. That's what I'm, I'm planning to follow through for now. Um, but as I learned over the years, there's hurdles and it's hard and you have to overcome certain things and you have to build a company. So hopefully everything goes according to the plan, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. about Shark Tank? Shark Tank. Uh, Shark Tank. Uh, Shark Tank was something that um, I've been asked to do for a very long time. I told you my wife is a, is a pusher. <laughs> she, uh, she told me that I should go for a very long time. I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel ready uh, with the business that we achieved enough or that I'm uh, financially uh, can propose something that, that will be enticing. And one restaurant, it's funny, I learned a lot about this because I partnered up with, uh, with a very important partner along the way that that's what made us turn from the three restaurants to the growth pattern and taking a big kitchen and all this stuff. A single person? Uh, yeah, he's the founder of Ruby Tuesdays. His name is Sandy Beal, and he joined the company in the beginning of 2016. I sold him a portion of the company as my partner and as an investor as a person that can guide me on how to make this a company and not just a business and what is the, you know, how to do it right. And he's been my uh, advisor, you can say, and partner, invested, of course, in all the locations, uh, just like I did, but he didn't, like, pour money on me. Hey, look, go. Uh, he worked so we can work and make it, make it a company. And I felt like, you know, joining forces with him helped me move along to get to the point that I could present this as a business and not just, uh, hey, everybody's on my back, let's go, <laughs> you know? And that's what it was before he came along. And after, uh, still sometimes. <laughs> but I went out and Tali, uh, Tali asked me and they actually called us this time and said, hey, you want to come out? And I said, okay, let's do it. Two months later, I was in LA shooting and did the whole thing. That's it, it was fun. It was a fun experience. Uh, I thought that it would make me more nervous than, than it was, but I wasn't. I was like, okay. What does the process of Shark Tank look like? What do you have to do? You have to apply. I can't talk about that. NBA, I can't, <laughs> I can't breach. I can't, no, no, I can't breach. So you yeah. apply and you get on and they check and uh, check your numbers and everything else. And then you, uh, uh, but they, they tell us not to talk about the, the whole process. Yeah. They have like places where you apply. We were a little bit different. They contacted us and we went out there and we went out there. They decided that we we're going to go out there and you pitch. There's nothing. There's no auditions or anything. You come, you prep yourself, you get ready, you go out and you pitch and you just say what you have to say and it's all real and it's all in front of cameras and everything along that comes with it. 
I had my experience before with the cameras, so it, it made it my life, and I am not intimidated by cameras for some reason. Uh, for some people, they, it makes them like feel uncomfortable, but for me, I don't know. I just don't notice them, uh, and and I felt very comfortable, and it was good. Uh, that's it. Mm. That's so fun. you got investors from yes, 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 yes. So I, I asked for a bunch of money, and I got uh, Lori Grenier, uh, which is uh, has been there forever, and she's really uh, really the guru of sales, right? And uh, I got Matt Higgins. Matt Higgins is the vice president of the Miami Dolphins and the chairman, and he's also the CEO of RSE Ventures with uh, Stephen Ross. And they are behind Milk Bar and Momofuku and, um, and Pizza and uh, Bluestone Lane Coffee. So they have invested in entertainment, and now they got into the food world, and uh, they invest in unique concepts. And that's it. And those two together, plus Sandy, is a pretty good team to venture this big and, and strong, right? So I was happy with that. Uh, they bit a little bit more because they're sharks and more than I have asked for. But I, I assumed they would. So I came in there asking for some ridiculous stuff. But it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens now that you have... Your big investors. First of all, they are minority investors. Uh, so, in, in, in business structure, or when you add on investors to your to your company, uh, there's a few processes that you have to go through. You have a due diligence that they're checking that everything you said is real and you're not just bullshitting. Um, and then they check. Uh, they they do a contract with you, right? And the contract is where things are determined of how the company would run. Who is calling the shots? Uh, how many people are on the board? Now it becomes a corporation, right? So you got, you got a board, and we make decisions over this amount of money on the board, and we do this like that, and it's not like, hey, today I, I feel like uh, I don't know what, and I just do it, right? But I hope uh, I am projecting. I'm not the kind of person that could be like, hey, let's sit on the board now, and I need to make decisions. I need to make them quick. So this is one of the things that uh, we are, you know, working, and that's the best way in my mind to run a run a business uh, at this at this scale for now. Later on, uh, when you have a company that has billions, right, you need to make certain decisions in a board and hear a lot of thoughts and everything else. But in restaurant business, a lot of times you need to make decisions quick. Uh, you need to make them now, and if you don't, uh, you end up losing a lot of money. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, struggles of mm -hmm. making a, a deal, right? Nobody's going to be my boss, though. <laughs> I'm never going to work for anybody again in my life. That's it. What would you tell somebody who was getting ready to make a, a pitch for investors? I always say that you always have to have that ability to see where you're going and if you are getting there. And if you're not, you got to be honest enough to yourself and say, hey, I got to do something else or I got to move my, or I got to work harder or they got to move faster or I don't know what it is. But as long as you know your business and you know that, you're ready to pitch to anybody. Mm. Is there anything you would have done differently looking back? For sure, but I can't. So I, I, I run my life as a, as a policy that says no regrets, right? I don't regret anything I do. I learned from it. There's so much money that I spilled that I that I could have saved and done something with. There's so many uh, people along the way that maybe I didn't 
understand uh, or put them in bad positions. I expected too much out of them for for you know who they are and what they did and their experience because I wanted them to be something that they weren't and all those things that you can do differently. But I learned, I, I, I believe that, like I said before, even with every, every experience, when I say measure and adjust, it's not only numbers. You measure your experiences. You listen to people. You measure your, uh, the, way, the way things work, uh, everything. And then you can adjust and become better at what you do. Um, would I do things differently on the business level? Uh, I would have hired more people to help me early on. A, and not be afraid of that. I was afraid of that in the beginning because uh, I didn't understand how business works and how 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 you can will uh, funds in in certain ways. And I exhorted myself a lot of times early on a, and not saw the opportunity. But again, you have to learn. Today, one of the biggest achievements for me is not the business. It's personally what how much I grew. And what I can do with that if I go out and do uh, anything else, right? Uh, that was uh, my biggest achievement for me, mm-hmm. you know. Are you considering doing anything else in the coming years? Right now, it's beyond sushi. <laughs> and right now, it's getting to a place where I, um, I invest still. I invest about 85 to 90 hours a week in this business, uh, which is a ton. Uh, and I, I want to... I missed my first child whole like three to four years of his life and now I, and I got a second one. I don't want to miss it completely. I still want to work, but I, I want to be at home more. I want to help his mom, but I, I, want, to, I want to spend more time with him. And I, I'm at the point that I, I, um, I'm doing more than just beyond sushi. So now we have the full service and our future locations are planned to be the full service ones. And we're planning to do more than what we have been doing before. Before I started this, like I said, I was doing very high-end events, charging tons of money for people, blah, blah, blah. So in terms of creativity and experience in high-end and all the stuff I have, and I want to bring back some of that because that's what drives me at the end of the day. That's why I still cook 50% of the time. I want to do that more. I want to be creative. I mean, that keeps me alive. Tell me about your menu. The basis of our menu started with the sushi and wraps and some salads. And then after deciding to grow the business, we wanted to make it more of a concept. And we went into um, adding dumplings and soups and uh, noodle salads and some side salads and drinks and desserts that came along with it. And we wanted to keep it stable. The sushi has always been my, you know, my uh, way to put myself out there. For me, at the highest consistency level. And I say that because I view sushi as uh, not as, as sushi, as everybody think of it, but as a vessel that carries the perfect amount of, of flavor to just grab it in one bite, right? So it might sound very, uh, very boring that I'm going to say that you come back for the same flavor every time. Subconsciously, we don't even think about it, but if you find the same flavor every time you come and you enjoy it, you're going to come back for it. And for chefs, consistency is always like one of the highest things. And sushi was always a perfect vessel for me because every time you come, you're going to have the same 
package of flavors, amounts, and everything on it exactly the same. And you're not going to take a bite of this part of the sandwich. It has more sauce, and that part has a little bit less, and this one. So this is just this perfect package that gives you the same consistency. I was a drill sergeant in the Army, and uh, everything for me has to be very aligned and, uh, and consistent and perfect. And that's where it started. And I, I believe that once you create that and you create a balance in flavors in the sushi and colors, which is uh, Instagram, right? Talked about it. Uh, then you're, you're on the roll. I mean, you're, you're good. So the sushi, again, just a vessel to carry my, my perfect flavor package. Can you explain to me the ingredients in your food? Sure. So our sushi is made from either black rice or a multigrain rice that we mix. The multigrain has uh, two kinds of brown rice, one long grain and one short grain, a long grain red rice and black rice. The other one is 100% uh, black rice. And we, inside the sushi, I usually have combinations between uh, uh, things that will make sense uh, and balance and texture. So it's got to be a crunch in there and something that would give you a, a chew. Um, so our bestseller, for instance, is spicy mang. has cucumber, avocado, uh, mango that is semi-ripe. It's not all the way ripe, so it's not too sweet. And then it has a topping of semi-pickled cabbage, carrots, and bell peppers, green and red. Pickle it overnight and introduce the uh, toasted cayenne flavor into it. And then on top of that, you have another layer of flair, which is every sushi gets a, a custom sauce that goes on top. This one gets a toasted cayenne uh, and a little bit of hot sauce on it. Uh, then that hot sauce and the mango, the, sweet, the sweetness from the mango balances out perfectly and you get the fat, and fat is not a curse word, so don't worry, fat from the avocado. As long as you get the right amount, you're okay. So you got that balancing the heat, the acidity, the sweetness. You have this great balance in that role that makes it sell so much and people like it so much. I believe that every dish that you do has to have some sort of balance, has to have uh, the right amount of fat or acidity to kick, uh, to kick whatever spiciness you have in it or sweetness you have in it. As long as you can achieve that, you're good. Can you tell me about the health benefits of your ingredients and your food? When we started, it was all about that. We, um, first of all, it's low calorie. Uh, our roll runs around 180 calories per roll, eight pieces. The sauce is a little bit more calories, but again, you gotta have that fat that comes along. But we use good stuff. So we use uh, grapeseed oil or olive oil. And then you have your rices that have a ton of fiber, not like white rice that all converts to sugar. This is, um, this is uh, black rice, amino acids, fiber, got proteins in it. We use tofu in some of the dishes, and that has uh, your nice amount of uh, protein in it. We use black beans, uh, garbanzo beans, uh, adamame. But you got to still make it fun and tasty, right? <laughs> nothing fried, nothing fried in the menu, except the chips and on my, right? The taro root chips, they're amazing. <laughs> so taro root, malanga, or whatever you want to call it. I don't use corn for the chips. I just use malanga instead for my guacamole, yes. And we have that extended menu, right? So we have an extended menu on 37 streets. It's for dinners right now, five to 10. Uh, for lunch, we run a regular menu Monday to Friday. Uh, you can still take to go our regular menu. The dinner menu is a little bit more expensive. However, put a lot more energy and love into it. And um, it allows me to actually 
go beyond just a fast casual concept and do something it's still casual eating but do something at a higher level and we serve it uh, Saturday Sunday I'm planning to do a brunch menu as well for Saturday Sunday and we have special menus for New Year's we had a special menu tasting menu we are relaunching our catering department so we'll have a bunch of things for the holidays and now we have hot food and catering and we're just uh, doing hors d'oeuvres and all this cool mm-hmm. stuff. Do you see yourself as having any competition for vegan food in the city? In vegan food, uh, I mean, there's so many restaurants popping up and there's so many concepts. The most interesting thing about our concept is that we're the first, and since then there was a lot of people trying to do the same. The biggest thing for us about the food is not to imitate anything. Okay, and that's something we didn't talk about. My philosophy with vegan cooking is not to imitate a different kind of food. So I'm not going to make a patty that's going to taste like meat. I'm making plant-based. This is the cuisine. It's not, oh, let me make a steak that doesn't exist. And that's my philosophy. I'm, if I'm doing vegan, I'm doing vegan. You have to execute, right? Execution, and one of the things that I learned from my Hell's Kitchen experience and Gordon Ramsay and all this stuff, right, that I did before... The only thing that I picked up is that you have to execute at the highest level no matter what. If you execute at a high level, service, food, operations, efficiency, then no one is your competition. I don't care. I mean, you can do whatever you want. There's enough people in the city. I have enough things to worry about in my business to worry about somebody else trying to imitate me. Good luck to them. like the sushi? Ah, funny. Uh, no, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> but I went to, uh, I went to uh, my son, my four-year-old son's yeah. school, and I did a whole class for the kids, and we made fruit sushi, and that they loved. So we made it black rice with mango or with strawberries or with kiwi inside, and, and they loved it. They didn't stop talking about it and, you know, and wrote me a nice message. I have it hanging in the office and all this stuff. That's cool. But I cook with my son a lot, and he helps me a lot. Um, he, he doesn't understand why I get upset when he messes up things, but, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. He'll have good kitchen skills. I hope so. <laughs> Eventually. I hope so, yeah. I don't want him to do this, though. This is yeah. not for him. It's like I think every other father, they don't want to do what, you know, the kids to do. What they, I, this is hard work. You really have to, if he loves it, definitely, but you really have to be passionate about this. You have to love it, uh, and you have to um, be willing to understand that you'll make a lot of sacrifices, Mm -hmm. and uh, most people don't want to. What do you hope for him, and what do you think your advice for him will be in 15 years? Uh, My dream? My dream is that in a few years I'm not in New York, and I own my own little farm uh, somewhere, and he can be a farmer. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, this is my dream. I, I came from, uh, I live, I grew up in a kibbutz, right? So we were, we were outside, we lived in a city and then we moved to a kibbutz and I spent three years when I was very little and then two and a half years when I was from 14 and a half to like 17, um, 16, whatever. And then that really made the biggest impact on how I would like to live my life, uh, 
I was very independent in the kibbutz. Um, we got a room at, at 15. I was living basically on my own, right? I had to wake up every day to go to work, uh, work in the field, work in the, uh, in the chicken coop or in, uh, uh, with the cows or whatever not. Uh, and that really changed my, you know, my view of life. I came from a small city, but we were basically entitled, right? We don't do, uh, we don't do much. And in the kibbutz, you have to, right? You have to do it. And it was, but it was fun. It was a great experience. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie Cody, and this has been Manhattan Sideways. If you'd like to learn more about this particular business or to discover and read about thousands of other fascinating small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, please visit our website, sideways.nyc and of course follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NY Sideways.